Today, in our study, continuing study of 2 Corinthians, we're at chapter 10, verse, verses 7 through 18. Once again, this chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, these four chapters come together. And <clears throat> chapter 10 is the beginning of Paul's passionate defense and in, in some sense a rebuke of the, his, his critics. But let's go over a quick review of uh, this passage. Two paragraph goes hand in hand and as you glance over and read through the scripture, you heard the word boast so many times. It is about boasting, but two types of boast, boasting. The one thing I, I, I think we need to know, four things at least, Paul is doing here. The fir first of all, Paul defends himself um, and rebukes his critics, that, these intruders that came from Jeruz Jerusalem. As you know, Paul founded Corinthian church. And in his missionary journey, so he was continuing on while he was gone, these intruders called themselves as apostles of Christ and powerful external recognition, recommendation letters, and uh, so much of a showiness of their persona. Uh, Apostle Paul calls them in chapter 11, super apostles, superlative apostles. And just imagine that. Let's say I took a few months off to uh, travel to Asia and for missions field, um, visiting missionaries. And while I was gone, uh, a visiting pastor or teacher comes in that not only teaches new things to you and, and says something like, you know what Paul, Pastor Paul's been teaching was all fraud. It is false gospel. It's weak gospel. You need to real, realize the power is in this gospel. He's phony. And after all, you know, he stutters, whatever that, that might be. That was what's going on. These, these apostles and not only uh, promoted themselves, but putting down Paul in various different kinds of accusation and criticism. Paul begins to defend one by one. And secondly, Paul exposes the distortion and disguise of these intruding false apostles. Um, namely, their main thing was this, the idea of triumphalism, of over-realized eschatology. It is very... A fancy word for simple concept. Eschatology is end times theology. The, the, the theology about end times 
Overrealized meant <coughs> when you think about end times or in the biblical definition of end times, when Jesus came, that end time has begun. And until Jesus returns. So in this time, the kingdom of God has already come. The word already is true. So we are given the salvation and the right to become children of God. We are to live with the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And uh, we are to experience the victory of Jesus every day. But also, there is, but not yet. Our salvation has not been completed until Jesus returns. Our sin nature will be gone, and we will be free from the presence of sin. And all the promises of the salvation will be consummated then. So we understand that tension. We're living in that tension under realized eschatology is a living a very defeated, pessimistic life. Wow, woe is me. This is life is hard and we just need to live here and endure until we get to heaven. For now, it's a time for this survival. That's under-realized. Power of the Holy Spirit who, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in us, Apostle Paul says. That's absolutely wrong. But the Corinthians' problem was over-realized eschatology, which made him to, to think about entire life. The life has to be triumphalistic. Because Jesus saved me, because he's, by his wounds we are healed, that we, by faith, can victorious every single day. We can be wealthy, we can be healthy, we can be victorious in all aspects of our lives. We can literally be triumphant in every aspect. So not only in the first century that we have the triumphalists like these super apostles, but in our days, um, prosperity gospel, prosperity theology, the people who are dominating in TV um, and very showiness of their external charisma uh, and claims these powerful things, and then uses even languages about themselves as a great servant of the Lord is in town. The advertisement like that. So that was what was going on. Paul exposes them, and obviously their seductive, powerful persuasion was paralyzing the Corinthians, spiritually immature Corinthians. Um, over the weekend, well, actually, for the past few days, <clears throat> um, one of my sons, once again, without naming someone, <clears throat> has this good, good job, but it's a very minimal job. 
and as a as an aide, and you know, you know, he has to do very various many different things. His friend then talked to him about going into this special training seminar for selling knives. And then once I heard about that, I was clicking some things that I heard about in my past, you know, some of my former students used to do that too. So, Soren, I don't think you... <laughs> I don't think you could do anything in terms of sales, but, you know, he was convinced, but, he, you know, you will not be able to... And by that, it was a little bit of a pyramid mode in the going into that, and you have to present to many different things. I didn't want you guys to sit with him for through that 30 minutes and feeling like, you know, whenever our friends are presenting, these are Girl Scout, Girls, Girl Scout cookies and you feel bad and you have to, instead of it's a $4 now, this could be $400, right? The whole point of that I'm saying, sharing this, by the time when he came back, the persuasion and their charisma was so strong, he felt, my son felt guilty about not returning. I'm proud of him that he didn't go. The second training and the real training go, you know, through that. This was what was going on in Corinth. Thirdly, Paul confronts the wrong boasting of the intruding false apostles and contrasts it with the right boasting of his own boasting in the Lord. Um, their wrong boasting has a lot to do with triumphalism that they're, that they're writing with. And we have um, quite relevant spiritual leaders, right, the cases of those spiritual leaders of today doing very similar things. Fourthly, Paul urges them to examine the obvious facts as he begins his defense and rebukes. In verse 7, he begins with, look at what is before your eyes. And if you look at NIV or King James Version, it's rather put it in a question mark, a question form, or saying something like, there are more than worldly external things. But scholars agree, and an ESB stick to the very more, more the contextually literal translation. It is a command. Look, Paul is using, look at the obvious facts. Paul basically takes them how to discern, even, even after him and even other people are coming in, how to discern who the false teachers are and, and true teachers and spiritual leaders are. So in uh, today's text, to keep it simple, I'm going to draw four 
things that are emerging from what he's presenting. Now look at this. Look at what is obviously before your eyes. And here's the first one. The four things to look at in, in discerning a true or false spiritual leaders. The first one is look at how authority is used by the leader. In Paul's case, Paul used his authority given by Christ to build them up as opposed to for self-advancement at others' expense. The false apostles did. Look at verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. The whole tone of it, I don't know whether you sense this or not, there's much of a constraining control, self-control. In other words, meekness. Paul could go at it. And I feel not only touched, but convicted by the way Paul presents himself through 2 Corinthians. I obviously, it is more impactful for the pastors and spiritual leaders and ministers and missionaries as well. But this applies to every single one of us because it's, it's all, all about true spirituality. What, what, is, what does it look like when you are a true Christ follower in this? And Paul starts with assertion that his authority is not his own but given by Christ. Even the word apostle is one who is sent. Sent by who? By Christ. Christ directly told him to go to share the gospel on behalf of him. Why was that important? Because how one uses one's, his or her authority really truly depends on where the authority has given what purpose why the authority has been given to us Christ the head of Christ has called apostle Paul and given the authority of apostolic authority to build up the church to edify the church. That was the purpose. And Apostle Paul is saying, look what's been happening. I was there to found the church and you received the gospel and you became believers and you, you belong to Christ now. What has been going on? Have you been built up? Since 
those superlative apostles come, came, what has been going on? Look at the obvious facts. And it was apparent. The super apostles were all about their self-advancement. And I was glancing through my memories. Going back some of the experiences that I had, the powerful uh, charismatic leaders destroying ministries. The ministry organization is destroyed. The person is continually advanced. And there are rationalizations for that. They're not ready for my kind of leadership. They're not ready for the real good things. They deny the powerful and spiritual leadership. But Paul, in all aspects, even the way that he became so meek and gentle, not asserted himself, to build them up. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, gives a little bit glimpse of what he actually was practicing. Apostle Paul writes, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Another translation will say, to help you to stand firm in your faith. For your joy. Isn't it strange that when it comes to even this generation, when you look at cultic movement, when you look at very controlling uh, ministries and organizations or churches, People respond to very forceful, domineering, authoritative style of leadership. When the person becomes meek and weak and weight and gentle, and somehow, like Corinthians, we too might think that, oh, he's weak. He doesn't have a charisma. He's not a really public leader who could stand. Why? That's all is going on in the world. Who's on stage? Who gets limelight? Who is delivering incredible communication? Even on TV. Even on TED. By giving into that, what is going on is that we deny the power of the Holy Spirit. What God is doing, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the person is exalted. So we ought to be very careful about even naming the ministry in person's name. And so and so. Crossway is not Paul's church. But we tend to do that, right? The Southern California, so and so's church, so and so's church, everywhere. 
Why? That person, persona is more important than anything else. But the fruit, a proof, is whether the people are built up, spiritually growing. They become passionate Christ followers. I think when we think about the modern day movement, of really the megachurch movement, and, and even the books like Your Best Life Now, if you really think about your best life now, is, is that so much of a self-help, uh, pop psychology sound, feel to it, um, unless you live out your potential, the giant was living in you, wake them up, wake him up, wake her up, and live out, and you could live your best life now. Why do you go to, why do you go to heaven if, he, if everything's best here now, right? It's an over-realized eschatology, triumphant, triumphalism is happening here as well. The way of the cross is foolishness. It's sometimes humiliating. It's so much easier to assert himself and stand up for your right and self-advancement rather than dying to yourself, humble yourself, and ask for forgiveness and being humiliated by persons of pride. That's true spirituality. Number two, Look at integrity or craftiness of the leader. Paul, Paul's inconsistency of his manner in letters and in different, uh, in person, he was different. He had a different manner. It was due to his integrity, not craftiness. And this accusation was half right. Listen to this. Verse, verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves one another, they are without understanding. In Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 through 3, and chapter 10, sheds more light on what he's talking about, the integrity of it. Thirteen verse two. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, 
He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Verse 10. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. What is he saying? He's basically saying, it's not that I don't know how to become very assertive and forceful like those superlative apostles. I can, but I am following Christ's example in his meekness. Don't let me be, be harsh. Have to be harsh when I come, come back and visit you. Because I will, if there is a need. So think, think about this accusation. What they're ac accu ac accusing is he's inconsistent. But it's ambiguous, right? He's inconsistent. Two different personalities. He's duplicitic. He has a duplicity. But in saying that more deeper accusation, which was wrong, that they, they were half wrong about that, was the true Paul that in person has nothing to show of. He's weak. He doesn't know what he's really talking about. But when he's away, he comes up with this per force, false persona that he's a really good, has a good writing skill and uses that and puts up different type of person that he is really not himself. And Paul, saying, Paul is saying, you are looking for proof that Christ is speaking in me and through me. And next time when I visit you, if you are continuing to be disobedient, I will have to be harsh and severe. Don't let me do that. So the first component that we talked about, his purpose of the way that he used authority is in connection with his integrity. His integrity is he is following that to the teeth. He doesn't want to destroy them. So when he's writing, he wrote harsh letters, and he was very forceful. When he became, he rather wanted, be, wanted to be meek and gentle. You know, when I meditate on this, I felt shameful. So a lot of times I don't have self-control to hold back and constrain. And I rationalize, yes, I'm a passionate person. I'm intense in expressing my emotion and opinion. I could become intense in person. But if I am under the control of the Holy Spirit, more meekness will come out. That's what Paul was doing. That's what I'm not doing. To reconstruct what's really going on, it's somewhat, we have somewhat difficulty because it's a one person sharing here. But if we look at other passages and historical data, putting it together, it is apparent these false apostles were 
great in their charismatic leadership. Once again, I, the type of person who will make you feel guilty if you don't follow. The type of person, personality that is so commanding, that, that person comes in, there is a presence of it. And even, not, not just Corinthians, but even for us, we need to open our eyes to see the true spirituality of Christ. And even this Christian world, in, in this Bible-believing American Christian churches, there's two, 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 two different types of boasting going on. Number three things to look at. Look at humility or pride of the leader to discern. Paul, even in asserting himself for his influence and his accomplishment, did it so in genuine um, humility without overextending himself. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to, to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our, our area of influ influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Oh, Paul's humility was genuine. He wasn't posing for humility. You know what I mean? The in Christian world, especially the Asian Americans also, there's a false humility. And even that happened in the Thanksgiving time, you know, all the time. Oh, we prepared nothing, but please help yourself. <laughs> it's a feast. It's not much, but you know, it's a lot. And what Paul's doing here is very almost like self-forgetful in such a way we, we can't really detect if you just superficially scan this chapter, you will not detect his humility. But if you pay attention and imagine yourself in their shoes more and more, his, his humility is overwhelmingly present. In the four different ways here, at least, in my uh, observation. 
Number one, he compared himself with no one. He said, I will not compare with anyone. Actually, the verse 12 says that, right? Um, but the only with Christ. Why is that? Well, this, this is a very practical thing we ought to do, too. If you compare yourself, usually compare with your near circle, and then those false apostles did that among themselves all the time. But what happens? If Paul does that with him, with them, it, it becomes like this. When you're a little better speaker, you become prideful. When you meet with incredible speaker, oh, there's a self-condemnation. The woe is me, as if instead of Christ speaking through you, Christ doing ministry through you, that you are the person who is making an impact. Okay. Since most of you don't speak publicly about God's word. But think about the way you serve. Maybe you have an incredible skill set in terms of organizing things, events. You are incredible in some skills of art, putting things together, posting something. But if you compare yourself, that you could either become very prideful or very self-condemning. Uh, it's low self-image. Woe is me all the time. But if you compare yourself with Christ, there's a genuine, just you feel humbled by Christ's example, isn't it? Second thing that we, we I see in Paul's humility is his sense, clear sense of calling, his assignment. He actually calls himself um, apostle sent to the Gentiles. He assigned, God has assigned him to particular task. Christ sent him for a particular purpose. So within that, he takes pleasure and joy and pride in it. Um, when, you are, when, you have, when you are clear about sense of calling, your mission becomes clear. When your mission is clear, the others who are helping towards the bigger mission becomes joyful interdependence rather than competition. Even second, uh, First Corinthians, Paul would say, I lay the foundation, apostle of Apollos, watered. I had this role in it, and somebody else took it to another level. And Paul rejoiced in that. So in your specific calling and sense of role, even if you, you might think that, oh, what's this role? Anybody can do it. But if you have a sense of calling that you're faithful in it, 
the meaningfulness of your work and your ministry, your serving, even if you say, welcome to Crossway, and you hand out the bulletin, that you are doing the Lord's work. You begin to see that. The sense of calling is so important. Fourthly, I saw um, Paul's humility and his ambition. Actually, thirdly, I'm sorry. Um, Remember verse 16? So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. You know what he's talking about? Rome. The great city of Rome had, that has so much uh, influence on people. But beyond Rome, he was thinking about the ends of the earth, which is Spain. He was thinking about Spain not for good food, like us, but for reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel. If I, if you are like me, this is a time that we need to really pay attention. Do I have this ambition? If not, listen to me. It's false humility that we have. Who am I to dream such a thing? Paul was entirely free because he was humble. That ambition was not for himself, for the Lord. But if we are really selfless and self-forgetful, we would dream the big things for Christ and his kingdom. Paul was. The well-meaning things, I'm just a, a member. I'm just lay leader. I just want to do this. I, 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 I'm not really knowledgeable about the Bible. Behind that thing, the false humility is that we, we really don't come out of ourselves and really to look at, Lord, everything comes from you that you do your mighty work through me. I'm willing. Now let me dream. Crossway. The coming year. Are we going to settle for just warm, cozy church that I'm comfortable, my kids are comfortable because of my uncle? Their uncles and aunts, they love them. Our family church. But are we going to groan for the kingdom of God? Are we going to yearn for partnership, new partnership with missionary Charles Lee? What about John Lee in Indonesia? What about in our backyard, our homeless ministry? We just trying to amp up. John Cheng's leading now. And thank God for them. 
And Duang still at it in evangelism, sheepfold, and Dar Darwin is continually at it. Are we going to dream in making an impact? What about making an impact on international students like Priyanka? In the fourth and last one, he chose not to boast about his strength intentionally, boasting only in the Lord, which lose, uh, leads us to the fourth and last uh, component. <clears throat> Look at whose approval the leader seeks, then we could discern. Paul boasted in the Lord, seeking his approval not from the people, but from Christ the Lord alone. Verse 17 and 18, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who, whom the Lord commands. This verse is actually quotation from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, Jeremiah writes, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Negatively, it's not boasting on our strength and richness or our wisdom, our knowledge. What does it mean positively then? To simply put, boasting in the Lord means boasting of the Lord, boasting about the Lord. It's not a religious jargon that you could boast anything and then at the end then you say it in the Lord or for Christ. But what God has done for me, what God has accomplished through me, those are the key sentences that is important. And Paul is very reluctant even this this area. But it could sound like boasting about his experiences. He's saying, you are making me like a fool. And he actually talks about boasting in the Lord is important. The actual boasting in the Lord, he does in the next chapter, towards the chapter, chapter 11, towards the end. And then chapter 12, he exposes incredible experiences. The super, superlative apostles couldn't even match. He, he shares that. And he continually repeats, you are making me do this. What a fool I am to share this. Why? Why all this? Because his aim, even in the boasting in the Lord, is seeking Christ, his Lord's approval. And not from man. In saying that, it's two things. It's not self-approval that I feel good. As long as I feel good about myself, that's okay. 
that uh, seems to be these days uh, way. But most of us will more than that. We want to seek approval of others and we want to please others. We want to be perceived well and praised and recognized. But we need to honestly think about is my ultimate goal and focus to seek approval of Christ and Christ alone. Here's a recap. I, I want to recap in such a way that it applies to every single one of us, not just the elders and pastors and missionaries. Here's number one thing to pursue in authentic spiritual leadership. Using our leadership to build up others. Are you building up others or discouraging others with your leadership? Number two, serving with integrity. Are you serving with integrity in all things you do, in all, aspect, in all aspects of your life? Are you the same person in your motive, behind the scene, and in public? You might change your manner to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to be more like Christ, but in your heart, do you... Are you a man or woman of integrity? Number three, pursuing humility. Are you pursuing genuine humility in serving others? Or is that some, sometimes misguided, self-misguided humility? And if you are truly humble, you will be self-forgetful and free to ambitious, to become ambitious. You know, my, my dream is, as I'm praying over this, and even for myself and you, that in the coming year that we will have people step up. Paul, I want to do this. Empower me. Could you let elders know that I need a prayer to initiate this ministry? This is my ambition. I need your support. I need your guidance. But I am passionate in this area. Number four, seeking Christ's approval alone. Are you seeking Christ's approval rather than people's approval? Approval in all ways? I want to conclude with this hymn and written by Isaac Watts in 1707. He, he wrote so many hymns, about 750 hymns, well-known hymns, still sung in today's hymns, hymnals, a, a credit to him. And Isaac Watts writes about the cross. And when I think of, uh, survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss. 
and pour contempt on all my pride, the way of Christ, the way of the cross. Verse 2 is so relevant. That's why it made me think about this, this hymn. The second stanza goes like this. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast and save in the death of Christ my, Lord, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Oh, Crossway family, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's embrace these four things. Let's build up each other, serve with integrity, pursue humility, and seek Christ's approval in this year's end and the coming year as well. Let's pray.